Before we start today's podcast, the Truth About Aging wish to acknowledge that this episode has been recorded on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. We pay our deepest respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge the Ghana people as the custodians of the Adelaide region and that their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important to the living Ghana people today. everyone and welcome to the Truth About Aging podcast. I'm your host, Kate Helmore. Each week we'll be unpacking your questions about the aged care sector, discussing how to age well, grow old and make informed decisions. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Truth About Aging podcast. If you're new around here, welcome. I'm Kate, the host and founder of The Truth About Aging. And this podcast here is my little space to talk about all things aging, whether that be services that people can access, information related to aging or death and dying, looking at changes to funding instruments and what's going to be available for people in the future. It's really just a little space for us to all learn a little bit more about aging and aged care and to hopefully be able to implement some of that in our own lives for either our loved ones or for ourselves. So little update from my end. Oh my goodness, I am so happy that the weather is finally getting a little bit warmer. This morning was beautiful blue skies and full sunshine and it just makes my heart sing. I forget how much I miss it until it all returns again, but boy, am I happy that spring is really finally starting to set in. My tiny little human, uh, for those who are new around here, I have a daughter called Cece who is now seven months old. She's crawling around. She's trying to climb up everything. She's demolishing any food we put in front of her. She is just thriving and it is such a joy to be with her every day. I am starting to get back into a bit more work now, which will be something that I'll talk a little bit more about next episode. But for now, it's lots of little projects going on on the side, which is really fun, but I am loving the majority of my time being spent with her. Now, I just wanted to give a little bit of an update on a topic that is being discussed quite a bit in aged care at the moment. And that's the changes to in-home aged care. So you may or may not be aware, um, from the Royal Commission, the Australian government was reviewing how aged care services are currently funded and what that will look like going into the future. Now, some of these were initially going to be implemented in 2023, but from what I understand, this has now been pushed out to 2024. So it's a little bit further away, but there are still changes coming. And from all I can understand from a really good place. It's really highlighted through the Royal Commission that some of the challenges with accessing home care services were around really long wait times, sometimes quite high costs from service providers for managing your packages, limited choice about who you wanted to access or maybe not being able to access through multiple people. And so they're looking to change the structure of the funding. Now, as with many things in this kind of area, The details are currently not entirely clear. So those working in the industry are still working out exactly what this will look like for their clients. So if you are in receipt of a home care package 
or a Commonwealth Home Support Program support, there will be information coming to you as things change and as the service providers know more. But basically, it's really looking around giving you more access to be able to self-manage your care if you want to, be able to receive individualized approvals based on your needs. So rather than having package one, two, three, or four, there might be specific things that are applicable to you that you can then access. It also looks at having access to goods, equipment, assistive technologies, home modifications, being able to access them in a different way to what you currently do. If you do currently have a home care package, you might know often it's around saving up enough money for those items. They're looking at a different way of being able to distribute that funding and also just greater transparency across the different service providers. So hopefully looking for reduced fees, reduced administration costs, all along with this new funding model. So there's change coming in this space and it's going to be really interesting to see the final details of that and how that gets rolled out. But stay tuned for more updates as things slowly unfold. In today's episode, I have the beautiful Kim Somerville. Now, Kim is an end-of-life doula, and I've been very lucky to have her on the show a couple of times in the past. If you want to go back to her previous episodes, there's a very important one, which is what is an end-of-life doula? That's on episode 28. She's also in episode 29 and in episode 45, so she pops up a lot throughout the show. And in today's chat, we were talking a little bit about what to expect when someone dies. So often, particularly in today's culture, it can be quite, we're not faced with death very often. I should say, if you're lucky, and if for most people, we're not faced with death very often. And it can be quite confronting to see someone die in front of you or to see a dead body or understand what happens after somebody dies. And so in today's chat, Kim and I just talk through what some of that looks like. I'm a very firm believer that the more you understand things and the more you have a bit of a picture in your head about what to expect, the easier these things can be to work through. And that's not to say at all that somebody dying isn't incredibly distressing and confronting and traumatic in some situations. But if it is potentially a quite slow and peaceful death. I hope that today's episode just kind of helps talk you through what that could look like, what you can expect, and what I guess the steps are after somebody does die. I will leave it there and we'll jump into today's chat with the beautiful Kim. I will just jump in quickly and say this was part of another chat that I also had with Kim. So if it feels like we jump right on into it, it's because we kind of do. So what do you think? I mean, most people don't spend much time with people that are dying. What do you think people are most surprised by? During the dying process or after it's happened or? um, I guess both. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think people are surprised that, you know, a lot of people come to these experiences and are remembering an experience they may have had earlier in their life or something that wasn't that positive or wasn't Mm. a great experience perhaps it's they've been traumatized or left with bad memories of someone in particular so yeah I think that sometimes when it is when death is supported well and done well you know with thought and preparation and people around them to make it as good as possible 
I think when a death like that can happen and be a positive experience, people can be surprised by that and realise that they didn't really have to be quite so afraid and it wasn't going to be as bad as they expected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, what what can people expect after someone's died in those you know, those minutes or hours afterwards or even the days afterwards, what what can people expect in that time? Yeah, I mean, the person's body temperature obviously gets cools down and gets cold and their colour of their skin will change. Um, and often people will die and their eyes may still be open or slightly open. So just little things like that, knowing that when that happens, it's really important you know, when what I tell people when I speak to them on the phone when they call and say someone's died is when did they die and what position are they in? Have you straightened their body out? Are they have you closed their eyes, closed their mouth, and just sort of put putting straightened all their limbs out and just keeping them in a, a good position? Um, mm-hmm. That's really sort of to do after someone has died because just getting those things done before rigor mortis can sort of set in, which um, then people's bodies start to stiffen up a little bit. So, um, and that rigor mortis does ease off as well. It doesn't, doesn't stay permanently. It will, you know, maybe I'm not sure many, how many hours it can be different for everyone, maybe eight hours, 12 hours, then people's body and limbs can start to soften back up again and a little bit hmm. more movable. There you go. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that can happen really quickly for some people. I know to someone I looked after recently, it, it happened almost instantaneously and it was quite a shock to the family that the person was so rigid. So, mm. you know, just reassuring them that that won't, that won't stay that way and, you know, when you want to change their clothes and everything, it, it will move and we can still change and put fresh clothes on them and everything like that. You know, people's colour and can change depending on how many days. There can sometimes... You know, there may be secretions that have come out of their nose or mouth or something that depending on their their illness and just have to sort of be managed and mm-hmm. tidied up. But, yeah, usually once once you've attended to all that care of the person's body and have got them in a sort of a cool room or on a cool plate, then the body can usually be quite stable for quite, you know, for quite a few days. But, again, depending on what sort of cancer or illness they have, like some people don't. Some people's bodies deteriorate a little quicker than others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I guess yeah, regardless of, of where someone passes, they need to also be pronounced dead as well by a, it's a doctor that normally comes in, isn't it? That's right. So yeah. um, you can, if if the um, nurses have been coming to the home, the registered nurses can fill out an interim form, mm-hmm. which is uh, enough just for the person because when, the, when somebody dies at home and they, get picked up from the funeral director, the paperwork needs to be done to be able to let for the person to travel with that person's body. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so if the doctor can't get to the home to come and do the medical cause of death or um, there can be an interim form done by the registered nurse, yeah, that's something that can be arranged as well. Mm-hmm. And I think probably worth people being aware of too, and I guess it depends on people's preferences, but there isn't necessarily a massive rush after someone dies of you know people it doesn't have to be people flooding in to do things and I think sometimes and maybe it's even through you know what what we grow up watching on tv and things like that it it can be a really peaceful slow 
calm process. It doesn't have to be that all of a sudden there's people in and out and they're gone in, you know, a few hours. You can actually sit there and stay with the body for quite some time or with the person for some time. Yeah. Is that, do you, do you think most people know that it can be that way or are people expecting it to be a, a bit faster than that? Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's enough people that know that what is possible. Um, and I think we've covered before, like in New South Wales, you can keep someone at home for up to five days. People only wish to maybe keep them overnight, you know, or if it happened in the middle of the night, they must want, might just want the next day with them so that all the family can come, you know. So it doesn't have to be the five days. It can be a few hours or a couple of days, you know. It's very and often people don't know how long they want that time to be. Like they can't really decide that until mm. they're in it. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the great part about it is they come to that own recognition themselves of like, okay, I think we're ready for them to go now. Mm. You know, so they've they've had their time. And, you know, they've, it's able to settle and they can accept what has happened and process it a little bit better and take a breath and then feel ready that, okay, we can start trying to clear our mind a little bit to make the next steps for what we do next, you know, for, to engage a funeral director and to get them picked up and, you know, start getting the funeral conversations underway. Mm-hmm. Is there, because from what I understand, from other people that have coordinated loved ones' deaths, there can be quite a, I guess, a checklist afterwards in terms of contacting the funeral director for anything from that to, you know, closing down bank accounts or notifying, I don't know, whatever this seems to be infinite things to do after somebody actually dies. Is there any kind of, I don't know, checklist or something that helps guide people through that or is there something to refer to? Because it it seems like quite a confusing time. That's right. I have seen definite checklists out there and get little booklets or information online, um, you know, about what to do when someone dies. So you mm. can just, you could Google that, you know, yeah, what needs, what to do when somebody dies, mm-hmm. what paper, you know, and that will lead you to some little links that you could look up. Yeah, but those sort of things don't need to be done straight away. Like you said, I think, you know, a lot of families might just sort of, once it's all settled and happened, then they might just make a cup of tea, go and sit outside in the yard, you know, walk around a bit and just sort of move slowly and make a couple of phone calls when they're ready and it's not the time to be making rushed, haphazard decisions. Because mm-hmm. um, like you said, there isn't that need for a sense of rush for things to happen straight away. Yeah, there's those things to be done over time but you can kind of space yeah. that out because I guess also you you know you have experienced a, a huge loss and it will be grieving that too and you probably started grieving before they actually die but throughout that yeah. process that you need to be able to have space to to process that whilst obviously there's some things that need to happen in the background but I yeah. think treading really gently through that time and giving it self permission to take it slow and you know you don't have to jump straight on the phone and tell people straight away you can you can do that as you feel ready to and just to really go at your own you pace. To, yeah, you don't need to tell. Like if it happened in the middle of the night, you wouldn't need to call your doctor in the middle of the night because there's nothing that can be done, you know. Like mm. you could read, but you don't need to. You could wait till the morning because that time after when somebody dies, like that's important to remember that you'll never get that time back again. 
And once you pick up the phone and start making phone calls, that gets the ball rolling and things unfold from there and can go at a faster pace. So um, I, I, find, I think it's really important that sacred time when someone has just died, there's a real subtleness in the air and it's a real shift and it's just a really delicate environment. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Is there, if you were recommending to someone, I mean, I guess you obviously go with what feels right for you at the time, but is there generally, would you recommend people have, you know, they wait three hours until they're talking to people or is there something that you kind of recommend for people to do in that time or it's really just kind of gauge it as you go and how you feel at the time? Yeah, I think it's very individual to everyone and some people will feel a little bit in shock and anxious and want to call people straight away and mm-hmm. other people, you know, that doesn't even enter their head. You know, they're just sort of, you know, in a little bit of a state of shock and really still processing what they've just witnessed and what's happened. Mm. And, um, yeah, no, there's no there's no right or wrong. <laughs> Very random question that I might even cut out if it's not. <laughs> Is there, is there any particular time of day that people are more likely to die? I'm just thinking, you know, with birth often it's um, related yeah. to the hormones and often people go into labour at night. Is, is there a time that people are more likely to die? Yeah, I think from what I've known is early hours of the morning, uh-huh. like 2, 3 a.m. Yeah, I mean, it, that's I, I don't know if that's right, but I just know from back in the time working on the hospital wards and it's just like, yeah, it's just a common common time for people to die and sometimes quietly slip away. Yeah. Unknown, you know, like it's just that when their body's in that deep rest state of yeah. anyway, can be sometimes just allow people just to let go and, mm. yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's just it's so I find that so interesting how, yeah, how, how beautiful it is and how our bodies just kind of know what to do, that it just it reaches that time when they're ready to kind of let go and be able to, yeah. to take that next step, I guess. Yeah, no, it's incredible, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Is there, is there anything you wish people knew more about the process of dying? I, I think I just keep saying again not to be, not to be so afraid and so scared mm. of it. You know, I do see people being quite anxious about it all the time. But I think sometimes, I mean, I know just from, you know, in hospitals and stuff, there's not always the time for staff to sit down with all family members or all visitors and have those conversations with them and tell them what to expect. And so, you know, a lot of people do miss out on those little chats which might just sort of put their mind at ease. You know, the more people can get sort of reassurance and be kept up to date with what's happening and what to expect and then they can try and be a little bit more prepared and not so frightened when it actually does happen. Mm, I think that's that's so spot on because it, it is often just that reassurance around what what's normal, what you can expect, you know, when maybe something, you know, like if someone is experiencing quite a bit of pain, what that might look like and when it's time to contact someone to mm. get some more pain relief, you know, I think... I think sometimes that can be something people don't quite understand either is that really particularly in those final stages it ideally should be really quite peaceful and that there are a plethora of different medications to help manage that so that yeah. they can be out of free from pain and not agitated or 
squirming or wriggling or certainly not crying out for help or things like that. That's, that's not, it, it can be managed in a much more peaceful way than that. And if that's something that you're not sure is being managed, then it's it's definitely worth speaking to people about that too and speaking up for your loved one if they're not able to themselves to to get some extra help at that time and maybe revisit their pain relief options too. Yeah, 100%, especially in um, aged care, I mm. think you could because, you know, it's, it's harder to access the doctors in the aged care facilities and nursing homes. So I think really advocating for your person and saying, look, mum or dad is in a lot of pain. We can tell, we know, and we, we want this sorted now. Please call the doctor to come in and chart those meds up so that um, they can die peacefully, not be so distressed. So you're really advocating for your person is hugely important and and it's your right to do that. And um, I think it's a big thing to remember. I remember that happened with my husband's grandmother in the nursing mm. home and my mother-in-law being really proactive and being a noisy wheel, you know, and saying, yeah. no, no, we really need the doctor now. Like we can't wait for another 24 hours or whenever they do their next rounds. Like um, you just have to really speak up and yeah um, I think that's so true there's not um there's no shame in advocating that way I think it probably depends on what kind of person you are anyway but it's not it it is it's the time to speak up it's not always the time to be really polite and wait for the next round and at the end of the day doesn't matter it's it's just you're there to advocate for your loved one and you know them better than anyone else that you you've got to be able to to speak up for their needs when they're not able to do that themselves. That's right. And if and if the if that those symptoms and pain can be addressed sooner rather than later, then that can be managed better and then, you know, not requiring so much of the nurse's time, you know, to try and get it under control. Yes. Yeah, I know nurses are so busy, like and especially in aged care facilities. Yeah. So worth pointing out. I I don't think I genuinely don't ever feel that it's a um People aren't choosing to go, oh, we can't really be bothered going back to you, you'll be right. It is in every experience that I've had, yeah, it, it's that they're time poor and that they haven't been able to get back around to that or whatever, which is why, again, it is important very politely but also just nudging again and saying again, look, I'm really sorry, but we do need you to come back and see mum or dad or whoever it is or can we please get the doctor out. doesn't mean you're being yeah. rude about it, but you you do need to be clear and sometimes a bit bit forceful in how you're advocating for them as well yeah yeah is there anything else you wanted to touch on with that I'd be happy to talk another time even if you wanted to more what happens after someone's died at home and then they go to the funeral home like what you are still available and what you're able to do you know you can still be hands-on and involved just because your person's taken away doesn't mean that your care has to stop there that you can with the right chosen funeral director, you can be as hands-on and tend to the bathing and dressing and all of that. Oh, that would be well. great to know. Holistic funeral care. Holistic funeral be. care. People might die at home and then they come in, but then the family back and see them and then I will sort of guide them and take them through dressing and washing or just, you know, being present with the person or having a coffin decorating day where people can view their person in paint the coffin and, mm-hmm. and make it not so confronting. Like yeah. Some, it's a big shift in people when they do that, when they're taken through it gently. It's oh, that's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, no, I think that yeah. would be really good. And I'm assuming that would be the same regardless of where they died. You can still like, come in and be part yeah. of that experience regardless. Yeah. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter whether. Yeah. yeah. It's really important, I reckon. Not enough people know about that. And that wraps up my chat with Kim. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the Truth About Aging Podcast or at my website, www.thetruthaboutaging.com.au. I hope you enjoyed today's chat and I'll be in your ears again next week. Bye.